So, all of that has now come to an end. Easter is over. But we're glad that there is Pentecost. Because if we only had Easter, we would have a Jesus who died for us, was resurrected for us, but we would have a Jesus who then ascended into heaven and left us all alone. But in Pentecost, we celebrate that we have not been left orphans, that Jesus still is at work in this world, that Jesus is working through his spirit and therefore working through us. Now, today our text comes from the Gospel of John, and we're backing up to the night before Jesus was crucified. And he's trying to explain these things to his disciples. He's telling them that he's leaving. And so they ask some very logical questions when he tells them that he is leaving. They say, well, where are you going? Can we go with you? And will we ever be back together again? And Jesus talks about those things. And then at that point, Philip pulls out the big one. Philip makes a request that really is made on behalf of us all. So let's be standing as we hear this, the word of God. Out of chapter 14 of John, beginning in verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe in me or believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least... Believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. So that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name. And I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, yea for Philip. He said what everybody else had been thinking and really represents us, ourselves, and even our times. For Philip's request that all he wanted to do was see God and he'd be happy, that's about as current as an iPad. I mean, that's something that has has gone through the generations and remains today, a longing not only for people who maybe struggle with faith or don't have faith, but even for those of us who do have faith. There are times in our lives when we really wrestle with them. We just call out to God, if I could just see you, if I could just see something about you, then truly I could be stronger and can go on and do the things that I feel called to do. 
Y'all remember Kirk Cameron? There was a star on TV, goodness, I guess generation ago now, in Growing Pains, and has since become an evangelist. And a few years ago, he was on Nightline. And he went on Nightline in order to take that opportunity to show God to people. And that's what he stated he wanted to do. He felt like it would be rather simple to do and wanted certainly to prove the existence of God. And so he made his arguments for God, and then they threw it open to the audience to ask questions and also some other guests they had brought on who were more skeptics and even atheists. And it got kind of ugly. Uh, There was quite a bit of hostility in the room and a lot of questioning about some of the statements that he had made and the the arguments that he had made. Now, I know that we are a people or a nation that likes to call ourselves a Christian nation. and, And when we take polls, we still come out with a fairly high number of people that they say they believe in God. But at the same time, there's a lot of questions being asked and a lot of doubt, a lot of skepticism. A while back, I was ordering a book on Amazon, and, and you, know, you see that little tab every once in a while that says the top sellers on Amazon, and I'm always curious, you know, what is it that people are buying? Uh, they're rarely ever buying the book I buy. <laughs> Mine's always rated 3,460 or something, but anyway, I, I, sometimes I click on that and see what it is that the top sellers are, and when I did that, I was amazed, for in the top 25 books being sold on Amazon at that time were these titles. Christopher Hitchens, God is Not Great, Richard Dawkins, The God Delusion, and Victor Stenger's God, The Failed Hypothesis. So people are thinking in this way. They're wondering about these things. They're asking some of these same questions that Philip asked of Jesus as well. However, we need to notice that Philip really did not ask Jesus to prove that God exists. His request was much more practical. He didn't want to just theoretically think that there's a God. He wanted to see Him. He wanted to experience Him on a level that would truly impact His life and so that He would know that there was a relationship between Him and the Father. I'm glad that Philip had the courage to say the unsaid. I'm glad that he stepped forward and said this to Jesus because he was asking it for me as well. Now, one thing before we look at what Jesus said to him in response, I want to notice that this is really not one of those foot-in-the-mouth moments like Peter was so good at. You know, so many times Peter said things and Jesus just really jumped all over him, didn't he? One time he called him the devil, Satan, get behind me. Another time he said, oh, you of little faith. But when Philip asked this, Jesus answered it. Now, it's true that as we read it, we can probably feel within Jesus' words maybe a little frustration, a little exhaustion. Perhaps, I guess when I read this, I think that right before he answered, he sort of went, (sighs) you know, just a big sigh, like, wow, you know, here we go again. But he does answer it, and he answers it very straightforwardly, which is interesting in the book of John, because in John, Jesus is rather a mysterious character, 
and he speaks in very circular, mysterious ways at times. Now, you know, we have four Gospels. Y'all didn't know that, didn't you? Okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All right. See, I just want y'all to know I know those things too. Okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But they all talk about Jesus, but they all give us a little bit different picture of Jesus. And not that one is right and the others are wrong. It's just that four different men experienced him in four different ways. And so it's their view of Jesus, how they remembered him, and also tailored for the people that they are presenting their gospel to. Well, the gospel of John presents Jesus as as almost a philosopher. And some of the things that he says are very deep and mysterious. And I get a little frustrated sometimes trying to follow his statements because they seem to wind around on each other. And it's certainly profitable to wrestle with them, to learn them. But this isn't one of those cases. So we don't have to worry about that. Because this request is so important that Jesus just meets it head on. And he says, okay, Philip, here's the answer to that request. You want to see God. Let me tell you how you do it. First thing he said to him is, I'm a little surprised you're asking this because you guys of all people should have already seen God because you've seen me. Now, one of the statements or one of the primary principles in revelations of John about Jesus is that Jesus is the exact representation of God on the earth. Way back in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, John kind of lays the foundation for this. Because, you know, I think that John was a fairly intelligent man. And he knew that he was going to share this story later on about Philip saying, show us the Father. So way back in the first chapter, he kind of lays the foundation for this. In verse 18, he says this, No one has ever seen God. It is God the only Son who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. So from the very beginning of the Gospel of John, we realize that one of the purposes Jesus came to the earth for was to show us God. And so here, as Philip says, if you'll show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. Jesus says, you know, I've been doing that. As you've been with me and you've experienced life with me, you've seen who God is. I have shown you the heart of God. I've shown it to you in the miracles I've done, yes. You've seen that that I have the power of God and that God is powerful and that God is the creator of all things and, and he can take his creation and he can at times tweak it a little and he can make it do something that it doesn't usually do and and so therefore you know we've done miracles for you you've seen the power of God in that but in so much else too you've seen the heart of God you've seen God as you've watched me interact with people the way I've treated others the respect I've shown those that are rejected by most of other society You've seen me walk up to people that are guilty of some of the most heinous sins in the world and embrace them and love them. You've seen God. That's who God is. So that's the first point that he makes whenever Philip says, show us God, is you've already seen him. It's me. But the second point he makes is probably even more important. Because he reminds them that he is returning to the Father. 
that in a few days, he will ascend back up into heaven. He will no longer be bodily upon this earth. He will no longer be walking about the earth, showing people the face and the heart of God. And guess what, he says to them? Then it's going to be your turn. You are going to be the ones that show people God. Did you see that little statement in there where he talks about how I've done these things and you've seen them, but then you're going to do the same things I've done? And in fact, he says, not only will you do the same things I've done, you're going to do, did you catch it? You're going to do greater things than I've done. Now, when we hear that, we think, wait a minute, Jesus. You raise the dead. You heal the sick. And you say, we're going to do greater things than you? Well, he's not talking about the miracles. As much as he's talking about the things that we do to show the face of God to others. And the reason we're going to do greater things than him is because he had a limited amount of time to do this. He lived upon this earth, we think, 33 to 35 years. We, we usually think of Jesus. We know he began his ministry at the age of 30. We usually think of his ministry as lasting three years, although there's no text that tells us that. That's sort of a, an assumption that we have based on we have three different Passovers mentioned. But it could have been up to five years. But even if it were five years that he walked about on this earth and he showed people the face and the heart of God during those five years... Those are over. They're gone. And Jesus no longer lives bodily upon this earth to do that. It's our turn. He says, and that's why you're going to have a longer period of time to walk about upon this earth than I had. And as you live and as you work and as you interact with others and all the things that you do, you're going to show people the face of God. And because you have more time at it, it's even going to be greater work than I was able to do. And I know you're sitting there going, me? (laughs) Us? But he gives the promise there. The reason we're going to be able to do that is because he will send his spirit into us. That we will not be left alone. That while he bodily left this earth, he returned to this earth in the person of the Spirit, to live within us, His children, His people, so that His work might continue on this earth and that people today would still have the chance to see God. Because as He says, the world is not going to receive my Spirit. Only those who believe in me, only those who receive my Spirit will be able to go about and show the face of God to the world who does not have the Spirit of God. And that is our calling. It is our duty. It's our privilege. Today's the birthday of the church. We mentioned it's Pentecost. Today is the day when we think back that the promise that Jesus gave to those disciples came true. You know the story of Pentecost. You know how the disciples were gathered together in one place and all of a sudden the sound of a rushing wind uh, came and descended upon them, flames of fire, they began speaking in foreign languages they didn't know before. 
and they began preaching the gospel for the first time to the world. And that descending of the Spirit into them empowered them as the disciples at that time to go throughout the world and to be the face of God, to let people see that there is a God. And that gift has been passed through the generations to believer, to believer, to believer. As we ourselves have opened our hearts up to God, as we ourselves have received the gracious gift of baptism and through that then the gift of God's Holy Spirit. And now it's our turn. How are we doing? <laughs> you know, have any of you heard any criticism of church lately? Is anyone, have you heard anyone say something bad about church? If you haven't, you haven't been watching much of the media or listening to any media or probably not talking to many people either because it does seem like that there's always criticism of what the church is doing and how it's doing it. And we admit there have been great failures of the church. You can go all the way back to the Crusades, to the Inquisition, all the way up through current scandals today that are going on and and, the, yeah, the failures are there. But just for a moment, not to be boastful and not to have pride, let's stop and think that we as God's people through His Spirit have had some success in showing people the face of God. ran across a book not long ago by Arthur Brooks, and the title of the book is, Who Really Cares?, and what Arthur Brooks did in this book was he tried to research what Christians in America, and by Christians we're, we're talking broad sweep here, all believers, all who claim the name of Christ, what Christians in America are doing to impact the needs and, 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 and the problems in the world. And he ran a total of those things. Now his information is three years old. And his information only has to do with the church in America. And the church is not limited to America. Because after all, the church is probably larger in both Africa and South America than it is in America now. But his research had to do with America. And, and he said that after totaling it all up, that every year Christians give money and time, donations, energy, equal to $250 billion a year. That's equal to the gross national product of, of, of countries like Sweden and Norway. And, you know. Don't tell me that Christians are not impacting this world and that Christians still hear the call of God to go out and to show the face of God to others. To be the face of God to others. Not to go out and argue with others and try to convince them that God exists. That's almost a hopeless case. Now I know that there are arguments for the existence of God. I've read them. You've read them. But you know, if you get into a debate with someone and all you're doing is debating about whether or not God exists, you're going to probably end up in a tie or a draw. Because there's a lot of other logical, you know, other these arguments that they can throw back at you. So you throw your arguments, they throw theirs, you throw... And, and you know, we're not talking about God's existence. We're talking about the experience of God. 
and seeing God. I think I shared with you a while back a story of uh, some three college guys that went to hear uh, Russell, Bertram Russell speak, who was a great agnostic atheist. And, and back in the early part of the 20th century, he toured around, especially college campuses, and gave his speech about how God does not exist, that that's just an old fable and all that kind of stuff. So he got up and threw out all of his arguments. Well, these three college guys were leaving, and one of them was quite impressed by Russell. And he said, you know, he said, the, guy, the guy's got some good arguments for not believing in God. And, and wow, you know. Uh, and, well, one of them was quiet. And finally, the other two said, well, you haven't said anything. You know, what, what did you think about Russell's arguments? And he said, well, you know, he explained a lot of things, but one thing he did not explain was my mama. I saw God in mama. And no matter what he said, he couldn't explain that away. We're not going to be very successful in arguing people into faith. But the way we can be successful is, is to show them God. To bear with humility and with gratitude the spirit that God has put within our hearts. And to go and to encounter others. And it may not register with them immediately that they've been in the presence of God simply because we came and brought His Spirit with us to bless their lives. But over time, they'll begin to realize that not only does God exist, but they've actually seen Him in action. This church here, not to boast, not to have, you know, be prideful, but, you know, we beat ourselves up enough. Let's celebrate a little bit. This church here has done some marvelous things to show people God. We own a house called Harvest House, a great blessing that was, was left to us by two dear sisters that worshiped in this church. And Harvest House is a place that, that families, when they come into town after one of their uh, loved ones is, is critically ill or has in a, been in an accident and they're distraught and they, they come into San Angelo, they don't live in San Angelo, they don't know San Angelo, and someone says, well, here's a place that you can live for free. And they come into our office, and I've seen them come in. I've seen them come in with tears coming out of their eyes, and they encounter Josie and Gina. And right there, they've already met God. And they minister to them and love on them and give them some keys to a house where they can go and they can relax and they can rest, not having to worry about how we're going to pay these bills. Folks, that's the Spirit of God at work. That's the face of God. Years ago, there was a heart in this church for people who work hard all their lives And yet when it comes time to retire, they don't have enough money to live in a safe, clean environment. We built them one. And Christian Village, Village East, those are functioning now. That's the face of God for people who need to live in in a good, healthy place and to be in community. And those people may not know it all the time, but along the way, they see the face of God. Rust Street. We have people walk into our Rust Street ministries on a daily basis now. And there they're given food and clothing and counseling and help. And those people leave, not just having seen the faces of volunteers, but they've been in the presence of God. This is our calling and this is our mission. Let's wear it proudly, yes, but with humility, with gratitude. 
that God has put our, His Spirit in our hearts and has said, go out and show the world the Father. Let's stand and sing.